Welcome to the Faith That Works in Real Life podcast of Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm Elena, and today we will be joining Pastor Brian Spar as he discusses the Gospel of Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. His message is titled, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like What? Let's get started. The Kingdom of Heaven will be like what? I mean, this story does not go how I would have written it. It doesn't go how I would even expect it to go, because when I read something like this, it it changes all the ways that I think about things, because I thought I wanted to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And I love it when the kingdom of heaven is described as a time and a place where everyone is whole and healed and free from pain, free from sickness and suffering. And that's true, but this description of the kingdom of heaven feels really different, doesn't it? And it sounds like one minor mistake and I'm out. And apparently, no one has enough oil or anything else, so sharing is absolutely out of the question. It sounds like the one who has claimed to know me since before I was even a glimmer in my parents' eyes is going to look at me and say, truly, I tell you, I do not know you, and then slams the door in my face. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like that? Really? No, I don't, I don't know what to say. As one commentator said that I read this week, this parable just doesn't feel like gospel. And I agree. Now, how we often read and interpret scriptures like this, parables like this, stories like this, it often sounds more like bad news than good. And so what does a preacher do when we come across a text like this. What should I do? Should I just ignore this text and preach about something else? And believe me, I considered it. Like I thought, man, it would be so much easier to preach on like John 3.16 today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. That's an easy one to preach, right? Let's do that. Or should I soften or rewrite the ending? But that's actually the same as ignoring it, isn't it? Or should I just follow the lead of the Turner Burn preacher? Should I call everyone foolish, awful, terrible, no good, rotten sinners? who better get your act together quickly. And that doesn't really sit right with me either, because I'm committed above everything else to proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So there must be good news in here, right? I mean, is this good news or is it bad? Have you ever watched a movie or read a book or watched a TV show where you're like all in with the story until the end? Like, you invest all this time in the narrative, you get into the characters, you're following everything that's going on, and then it just ends differently than you would have written it. It ends differently than you would have expected it to. Like, I remember the TV show Lost. Did anybody watch the TV show Lost? I love that show, and I am the one person on the planet that liked the ending, too. But, like, I mean, I'm looking at your expression, and you were angry as soon as I mentioned it, because, like, six years of Lost, and nobody liked the ending. It just, there were so many holes, there were so many questions, there were so many things that were unanswered, and people loved this show. They were obsessed with it, and then it got to the end, and it was like, what happened? How I, Met, How I Met Your Mother was another one. They went through all these seasons. I think there was like nine seasons of how this guy met the mother of his kids and then he wound up with somebody else. I mean, spoiler alert, it's been out for a while. I apologize. You've had time to see it. <laughs> but I, I remember there was a movie um, that I saw that, that always stands out to me, the experience of going to see it. Did anybody ever see the movie Signs? 
Yeah, so it was like this kind of, this kind of creepy movie. It was M. Night Shyamalan, the same guy that did The Sixth Sense. And it was a movie that had aliens and crop circles and apocalyptic threats. But it really wasn't about any of those things. It was actually a story about grief. It was about a dad who struggled to sustain his faith, his family, his work, and his relationships, all while carrying the burden of the traumatic death of his wife in a car accident. And when we went and saw that movie, like Michelle and I, after the movie, we were like, oh, that was, the movie was so good. Oh, it was, and we were just like talking back and forth about like, you know, how it was just so masterfully created. Like there was this mystery behind it. You didn't ever really see the bad guys and it just left everything to your imagination. It was creepy and it was wonderful. And the story was really poignant and everything else. And one of the, per, one of the people that came with us to see the movie, as we're talking about it, was like, that was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. We're like, what are you talking about? That was like one of the best movies we've seen in a long time. And he was like, there was no space battle. We never saw the aliens. We never got to see like all this stuff. And he was like describing it. And, and we were like, you completely missed the whole point of everything. Because it wasn't about any of those things. It left all that to our imagination. And it was this deep story about grief and relationships. And I wonder if this parable doesn't sound like gospel, if it doesn't sound like good news, because I am focused more on what it's not than about what it is. Because when I first read this parable, I notice many of the same things that we all do. There are 10 bridesmaids, and five are foolish, and five are wise. And the natural question for me to ask when I read something like that is, which one am I? Am I wise or am I foolish? Because I don't want to be foolish. And so I start asking questions of the text, like what, what distinguishes the foolish from the wise? And I look at it and I say like, oh, the wise bridesmaids, they, they brought extra oil and the foolish ones did not. That's the difference. So to be wise, and here's your practical application, to be wise, I have to be overprepared, right? That's it. I just have to consider anything and everything that could happen, and I have to make a plan, and that way I have nothing to worry about if something goes wrong. So I, I should be safe then, because I'm usually prepared, except for when I'm not. And I usually bring extra, except when I don't. And I'm smart, like some people, especially my kids, call me wise. And every time I walk into the room, they're like, oh, dear father, <laughs> bestow upon us your wisdom from your wealth of experience. Please share with us so that we might learn. I'm smart and I'm wise, except when I'm ignorant and foolish. Or maybe I'm not foolish or wise because I had the foresight to bring enough oil, because after all, how could I know everything that's going to happen? How could I know that the bridegroom is going to be late? I mean, think about this. Like, who shows up late for their own wedding? Did he forget the time? Did he get busy doing something else? I mean, what was so important that he couldn't arrive when he was supposed to? Like, it doesn't really sound fair, does it? Like, if I have to be prepared enough to bring extra oil, shouldn't the bridegroom, the one who knows all these things, shouldn't the bridegroom have to be prepared enough to consider things like traffic jams and construction and sandstorms and thieves on the road or bad weather or whatever it is that causes the delay? That would only be fair, right? So 
maybe that's not it either, but if I keep looking, like, oh, okay, I, I see it. At the end of the parable, it says, keep awake. So to be wise, to be one of the wise bridesmaids, I have to never sleep. Except in the parable at one point, Jesus says that they were all asleep, both the wise and the foolish. It's confusing. Like, am I, am I foolish or am I wise? Maybe I'm both. Maybe I'm foolish and wise all at once. But then that leads to further questions, because if that's true, and trust me, it is, like sometimes I am a fool, other times I'm wise. A lot of the time it's at the same time. Will the door to the banquet be open or closed to me? Will the bridegroom recognize me, or will I be a stranger? I mean, do you see why it would have been so much easier to preach about John 3.16? Or maybe I have to, like, look at all of this through a bit of a different lens. Maybe the way that I look at this misses the point of everything altogether. Because maybe, just maybe, I am not the primary character in this story. Maybe this story is less about me or less about you than it is about something or, better said, someone else. Maybe how I and many of the rest of us read this parable just misses the point entirely. Faith That Works in Real Life is being brought to you by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can find out more about Messiah Lutheran Church by visiting messiahlc.com. Let's continue listening to Pastor Brian Spark. Because what if it isn't about you and me being foolish and wise so much? What if it isn't about having the door to heaven slammed in my face because I didn't plan well? Maybe it's not about oil. Maybe it's not about never sleeping. Maybe it's not about even being early or being late. What if this story, what if the point of it all, what if it is to draw our attention to one thing and one thing alone? What if it's about the bridegroom? What if it is about the bridegroom who has come and coming? It is coming. And what if it's about the bridegroom who is the key to entry into the wedding banquet? I mean, we certainly have a role in the story, but we are not the central figure. That role is and always will be reserved for one person and one person alone. Let's make no mistake about who that is. That is Jesus. But oh, how good I am about making it about something else. Oh, how good I am about making it about me. And maybe you are too. Maybe you, like me, are foolish and wise, alert and asleep. And I think that leads us to the instructive part of this that comes at the end of the parable. That also comes at the end of several other parables that are told in Matthew's gospel. These two words, keep awake. And if we dig into the language here, another way to say those words, to say keep awake, is stay vigilant. And that's different from never resting or never sleeping. To stay vigilant means to keep a careful watch for danger or difficulties. And there are plenty of dangers and difficulties out there. There are plenty of things for us to watch for. And maybe staying vigilant isn't something that we can or should do independently or on our own. Maybe to be wise is to stick together and to actually share the watch. 
Because if we're honest, the threat is far too much for any of us alone. And I'm not trying to rewrite this parable. I'm not trying to soften the ending, ending at all. But I have to wonder if even if there wasn't enough oil to stain, sustain all 10 lamps, wouldn't five lamps have been enough? I mean, if they stuck together, if they shared the watch, maybe even one lamp at a time would have been enough if they stayed with one another. And wouldn't it have been wiser to share the oil and use one lamp at a time so they would leave no one in the dark? I mean, have you ever seen how much even the tiniest flame can break through the darkest darkness? I've been caving a few times in my life and gone to places in that, those experiences where the sun does not penetrate the earth. There is no light that comes from the outside. And when you go caving, you wear a little helmet and there's this little carbide light. It's so tiny. It's barely a match flame, not even quite a match flame that you wear on your helmet. And that's what you have to see. And it's amazing in these places where the sun doesn't reach, the little light of that flame breaks through the darkness enough that you can find your way. It's amazing how much even the smallest light can break through the darkness because there is no darkness that is so dark that the light can't overcome it. And friends, in my life, I have been in so many places that are dark, where everything seems lost. In my time as a, a hospital chaplain, I stepped into room after room after room where the dark seemed to have won the day. I've been in dark places literally and figuratively. And it doesn't matter where I've been, the one thing that always remains true, and was always true in, in those spaces, was that there was light that was present. The light of Christ was present. And when we noticed and started to pay attention to that light, it broke through whatever darkness we were experiencing. Because there is no place where the darkness can overcome the light. But sometimes, without someone directing attention to it, without someone noticing it and proclaiming its presence, we can miss it. And in the darkness, we do all kinds of things. In the darkness, we can easily wander off foolishly. It's easy to wander off on a fool's errand, like unnecessarily getting oil for your lamp, and then end up missing the bridegroom's arrival. And so the call for us is to stay awake, to stay vigilant, and to stay together. And no one then will be left on the outside looking in because the bridegroom, Jesus, opens the door for us all. And so what might staying vigilant look like? There's lots of things that we can do to stay engaged in this way. But one practice that I think we can all do even just this week as we leave here today, I would encourage you to look up and look around. We spend so much of our lives looking down, whether that's at our phones, whether it's just staring at our feet, trying not to make eye contact with people as we walk around, whether it's reading a newspaper or a magazine, whatever it is. I mean, we don't have to be all extroverts. I'm an introvert. But we spend so much of our lives looking down. And there are so many things that are going on around us. And so one of the ways that we can stay vigilant, that we can keep awake, is to look up. To look up and look around and just reflect for a moment and say, what do I see? And as I look around, what do I see that I'm thankful for? It's a beautiful world out there. 
It's so interesting, you know, talking to people as they come in, and, and my thoughts are the same, but like, it's getting cold out, and so, you know, the, like, hey, how are you doing? It's, man, it's cold. You know, like our first instinct is to talk about how bad everything is. And so often it's like, well, the sun is shining beautifully out there today. And yes, it's cold. I'm from Florida, man. I hate this time of year. <laughs> but it's also like when I look up, there's beauty to be seen. There's love to be found. And sometimes when I look up and I look around, there are things that I notice that are broken in this world. So maybe as we look up and we see what we're thankful for, we'll also notice the things that are broken. And sometimes seeing that brokenness leads us to even greater, greater thanks, to say, like, I'm so thankful that that's not my struggle. But hopefully it also leads us to a place where we see what's broken in this world and we can say, I wonder if I can join with God in making that whole and healed. It's a way that we can stay vigilant, to keep watch, and to remind ourselves that we're in this together. What's broken and in need of loving care? And as we look up and as we look around and we see what we're thankful for and we notice what's broken and we engage in that and we listen to the Spirit and the way that the Spirit leads us to maybe be part of the healing of that brokenness, then what would it be like to not take on the burden of that just by ourselves, but to actually share that with people around us? We have 10,000 ways that we can communicate with one another these days. And so it would be so easy for us to share with someone what we're thankful for, to share what we see, and to share what we're hearing the Spirit of God leading us towards. And just to make that a regular practice so that we're all awake and aware, preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ, reassured again and again that Jesus loves us, reassured again and again that we're not alone, reassured again and again that none of us will fall short, but that all of us have enough because God is a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. So friends, keep awake, stay vigilant, and share with one another because the bridegroom is coming. And yes, we're foolish and wise, but the doors to the banquet are open for all. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. Thank you for the way that you lead us. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for making the way for us. Thank you for just the gift of who you are with us each and every step of the way in our most foolish moments and in our wisest times. May we know that you are at the center of the storm. May we know that you are with us and that you are good. And may we look around and see the ways that you are alive and at work and moving in this world. And may we have the faith and trust in you to join in. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm Elena, and that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Pastor Brian Spar for his insights on Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13 in his message, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like What? If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to come back next week for more insights on faith that works in real life. We invite you to subscribe to Faith 
That Works in Real Life on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Faith That Works in Real Life is created and produced by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you would like to reach us for any reason, we can be found at messiahlc.com. Messiah Lutheran Church exists to forever change lives through the gospel of Jesus by becoming an equipping, empowering, and mobilizing church in our community that displays the love of Christ and connects with people of all walks of life through worship, communion, service, fellowship, and compassion led by the Holy Spirit and focused on the Great Commission. Please follow us on social media.